might find it useful just to take a few moments to appreciate this particular form that folks for so long have been using just to sit down in a relaxed and relatively upright posture. And to soften the body and the mind, trusting this clear and receptive presence. And affirming, trusting that this heart has the capacity to see clearly and to relate in a beautiful way with the conditions, no matter how the conditions are right now. Notice that there is a way to show up. There's a way to be relating to what's here, what's coming and going. That's truly wholesome and beautiful. So in a given moment, it may have the qualities of patience or trust. Other moments, the way of relating might look like appreciation and gratitude or forgiveness. being touched by the simple truth that it's not easy at times being a human being, that life can really hurt, be painful at times. So we're developing a sensitivity to what's beautiful in the same way that we've been developing sensitivity to what's not helpful, what's unskillful. Just the intention to relax is a beautiful intention, beautiful quality. The intention to be right in the middle so often this is a restless realm, things coming and going thoughts, sensations, sounds. Notice it as a beautiful quality, this willingness to be awake, to be present.
and in particular this morning and today, noticing this developing capacity of the heart to include, to include the experiences, the qualities that it might have the habit of not seeing or not wanting to feel. Ah, this too is being known. This too is being felt here in the moment. Can this be okay that the moment is unfolding like this now? Is it safe to relax? Is it safe to trust? Is it safe to allow things to unfold? Keep moving. And in this way, we learn how to be right in the middle. We learn how to cultivate the love that's not afraid of what's coming and going, not afraid of ambiguity, confusion, not afraid of intensity, not confused by subtlety, But instead realizing, well, it's just this experience being known. And that's enough to have that honest recognition. In fact, it can be a real relief not to imagine we have to be in control of how things unfold or not to imagine we have to take responsibility for the way that it is. Instead, we keep it simple. Is there a way to be relating, to be opening to the present moment? Is there a way that this way of relating can be wholesome and beautiful, helpful?
and just checking can this space, this activity of awareness, can this be a kind space? Not something we force, it's more about the interest. Can this be a kind space here? And how might that help support the practice? How does it change things when kindness is noticed?
We'll take a little time for questions this morning, if there are any, about the practice. Yes, in the back. It's actually three questions all related. It's about peace, the opposite of war. What the Buddha had to say about peace, I should have been thinking. So if you didn't hear, the question is about the, any comments the Buddha might have had around peace as opposed to war and how to foster peace and what that might look like today in our own heart and mind in our world. So I'm not a Pali scholar, um, but the Buddha, there are a few examples from the suttas where you know, people would want to get the Buddha involved in the conflicts of the day. And generally, he was quite skillful at steering the conversation. Either he would, you know, ignore the questions or he would steer the conversation back to the practice. And uh, this is, it doesn't mean that the world, the wider world doesn't need our intervention. Clearly, there's a lot that uh, needs to be done in the world. But this time that we've set aside, we're really looking at the more foundational um, aspects of the questions that you asked. So, you know, in terms of war and peace, what are the roots that are playing themselves out in our hearts right here while we're on retreat? in little seed forms. We're not going to pick up weapons probably, but you know, we see the storms arise. We see rage, we see fear, we see how the heart is conditioned, you know, the habit of what we do with fear or disappointment or whatever, close down, act out. We learn so much about the bigger world by observing what comes and goes in our own heart. So fostering peace, I mean, we've got this laboratory right here, you know, and we see what feeds the storms and what soothes the storms and sets in motion a greater release and peace. And so I can turn that question, you know, if we had the time back to you, like in observing the heart and mind, how have you noticed that we feed these storms? There's a really potent little simile the Buddha used. I think it's referred to as the 40 carts. It's a 40 cartloads of fuel or something like that. I forget exactly the title. But it's the simile where the Buddha is giving the example of a big bonfire, basically. And... One scenario is somebody keeps throwing fuel into the fire, big logs, dried grass, dung, this and that. And of course, that fire is going to keep going for a long, long time. 
And the other, you know, the opposite is, of course, there's a big bonfire. But in this other scenario, the person doesn't keep adding fuel to the fire. So that's just an interesting, you know, setup to observe our own interactivity. And of course, it does express itself in little ways, at least here on retreat, even like whatever that interactivity might be, throwing fuel on the flames or refraining from throwing fuel on the flames. We see how it affects our relationships in the world, even how we relate to opening and closing doors or how we relate to eating food. Because if we're in a aversive or have a siege mentality, we tend to, it tends to express itself a little bit at least in all of the ways we're relating to others and to even inanimate objects, right? So just to uh, be a really good student on war and peace here in our own hearts and trusting that it will really affect when we leave behind this container and pick up the responsibilities of being a citizen of the world and a citizen of the country and a citizen of our local communities. And with that, the responsibilities for, you know, planting seeds of peace, refraining from planting seeds of war. And, you know, I, in that talk on the wholesome and unwholesome qualities, you know, it's really useful to have that point out. So I'll see, I'll look for planting seeds of greed, planting seeds of hate and aversion and fear, planting seeds of delusion. And I'll track like what comes of those seeds. Who do I become? What kind of mind gets set in motion for me? We can also observe it in other people. I mean, imperfectly, but we can sometimes sense, oh yeah, this person is planting seeds of greed or hate. And over time we see what sort of fruits, what sort of, you know, comes, gets set in motion from those seeds that we have sensed got planted. And we see that in the world, you know, when we're reading the news or hearing about things. Oh yeah, that seems like, you know, we as a community are planting seeds of fear. I was uh, on a long retreat. I was actually practicing in Burma during 9-11. So I missed a lot of the um, trauma, I think. I know it's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but I, I think generally, even as a people, you know, watching the news, I think it was somewhat traumatic. But I missed all of that because I was on retreat, came back, you know, mid, late December. And... Uh, but just seeing, just sensing what kind of seeds have been planted in the reactivity to that event. And then they're just seeing like how those seeds take root, get watered, some of them, hopefully some of them, were just left alone, you know, and they just faded on their own, didn't spread, didn't come to life. But a lot clearly has. And then we get a world that's more frightened, more reactive, more tribal in some ways, and uh, fear-based, right? So 
not only like a lot of those seeds have already been planted, but we don't have to nurture or water them. So how do we do that individually and collectively? And that's really what we're planting here. We're learning by, with the stability of awareness, it's kind of hard to take in, but we're realizing that we're responsible. Initially, you know, we talk a lot about it being a natural process, but initially the flavor of observing the mind is the realization that it really matters what we're paying attention to and how we're paying attention. And so this sort of force, wholesome force, initially somewhat of a restless force is like, I don't want to plant more seeds that cause harm. I want to nurture seeds that lead to peace. And the more and more we take on that responsibility, the more and more we see that that being that wise gardener, that you know, cultivating the wholesome seeds, ignoring, weakening the unwholesome seeds, even that, you could call that wisdom, even that's a natural process. But initially it feels like, oh yeah, I want to be full of care as I pay attention, as I notice what I'm noticing and how I'm noticing. And that's what I tried to convey last night, that broken heartedness. It's, we have this responsibility for cultivating wholesome seeds, weakening, not watering the unwholesome seeds, but it's really hard to do. And it feels a little overwhelming, especially as we sense how many unwholesome seeds I've planted. (laughs) You know, we kind of flash back. How many moments of irritation, how many moments of greed, how many moments of this and that. So we have to initially sort of acknowledge what that's like to sense that, right? And that's why it's really important to also remember all the wholesome seeds often at the end of the night, right? That's what that sharing of the merit, more than somehow taking care of all beings by sharing the goodness in our life with them, more valuable than that aspect of that little reflection we do, it's remembering, um, yeah, this capacity we have to plant wholesome seeds and, and to sort of do the one thing we can do, plant more wholesome seeds, take care of those seeds, notice the impulse to plant unwholesome seeds, sense how that's not going to help, and let that be a support for not repressing, but feeling what we feel, like that impulse to want to act out anger. Feel what we feel, let it move, let it be what it is, But part of what's there too is the wisdom that's saying, honey, you don't have to act this out. You can just feel this. You can feel the anger. You can see it as a natural movement, but it doesn't need to be identified with and acted out. Thanks for the question. Maybe time for one more. Okay, in the back.
Oh, okay. Yeah, so the question was about thinking and uh, reflecting back on the, on the Buddha's awakening and his contemplation, his thinking about what to do with his, the understanding and the freedom that arose. Like, what do I do with this? What would be helpful? Will anybody get it? And so there's a lot of content uh, in the tradition. You know, we don't really know, of course. We don't have the Buddha to check in with. But we have the stories that come down through the tradition. And eventually, as some of you know, he took off looking for his old Dharma friends. He thought that maybe they might be able to understand. But it sounds like the, the real question is about the usefulness of this kind of planning, thinking. And uh, thinking is a very powerful tool. So I don't think anybody is saying that, I mean, definitely we don't want to pathologize thinking. For one thing, it just doesn't help. And of course, that could only be more thinking, pathologizing thinking, thinking that thinking is bad, right? So it's, it's sort of an endless trap so it's more about how to how to co you know how to live with thinking how to be with thinking how to allow it to be useful so we in the tradition i mentioned the three wholesome intentions last night some scholars translate that as wise thinking wise resolve right wise intention but also wise thinking and it's really the active expression of wisdom. And I think Alexis and both Alexis and Carol, I think, mention how wisdom is thought of as in three parts, right? There's the wisdom that comes from just receiving some information and then reflecting on that information, kind of digesting it, beginning to integrate, like what does this thinking, these concepts, how does it, how might they illuminate my actual experience? So you begin to work with the thoughts. And maybe the Buddha did that too, you know, where he thought, oh, what might I do? And then he had some senses of like doing this, doing that, and then feeling what that feels like. And I'm guessing learned along the way. I mean, one interesting story is the first person he ran into after spending 40-some days after the big night under the Bodhi tree and the awakening and just reflecting on what had happened. Then he took off looking for these friends. And the first person, at least in the tradition, that he ran into was somebody coming the other way on the path and noticed something about the Buddha, like very radiant, seemingly peaceful, serene, and just wondered, like, you know, who are you? Who's your teacher? What's up? (laughs) And... And the Buddha gave this answer that is, uh, I, I won't be able to paraphrase it even, but you know, just trying to express the absence of grasping going on and uh, freedom. And how could he need a teacher at this point or something like that? But um, the person didn't know what to think. Right, and uh, he ends the this little passage ends with him saying something like, uh, "May it be so," and then he took the side path, like, <laughs> like "Okay, may it be so." I don't really know what's up, you know, 
It seems a little over the top. <laughs> May it be so. And it was nice because I like to think, but I don't really know. But it's a nice thought for me, like in that long walk to where he was going to meet up with his old Dharma friends, right? that he probably, just upon reflecting how he might talk about his experience, you know, that maybe he was able to get some insight. And then we, you know, again, this is in the tradition, that first Dharma talk that he gave was quite impactful, including that one of the five folks really got it and had some deep insight right then and there, just hearing this, whatever it was, 10-minute Dharma talk by the Buddha on the Four Noble Truths, the Middle Way and the Four Noble Truths. So clearly there's a place for contemplation, but there's also a place for being aware of what's happening when the mind is contemplating anything, and especially what the underlying feeling is. What's the feeling here? Is there some greed in the mind as I do this planning, as I reflect on how to solve this problem? Is there some aversion, right? It's not easy, which is why we come here dropping a lot of our duties and responsibilities, because it's just easier to cultivate the continuity of awareness when we're not given a lot of tasks that take a lot of thinking. But clearly, (laughs) there's a lot of thinking going on, right? And hopefully, in moments, there's an awareness that thinking is happening. And with practice, that awareness of thinking doesn't immediately put the kibosh on thinking, right? That the awareness becomes less and less invasive, less and less suppressive. And and then the mind, the wisdom in the mind can really begin to see that thinking is just that. It's just thoughts coming and going. And it doesn't mean that those thoughts in some moments aren't really not helpful and other moments might be very clarifying or useful. So we're learning to see thinking as just another one of the many natural processes that are coming and going just like seeing is happening, thinking's happening, hearing is happening, thinking's happening. Of course, that's what that aspect of the mind does. It plays in that abstract realm of thought and mental image. It does riffs on riffs on riffs on riffs, right? That's what it does. And every once in a while, we really pull it out and give it a job to do. Plan this out, think this through reflect on, back on, use thought to point to the present moment. There are skillful places for thinking, clearly. So hopefully that addresses what you had brought up. And then just uh, two announcements. Uh, Vance will be doing one-on-ones. You can check the bulletin board. And the second is we thought it would be helpful to um, schedule a woman's affinity sitting this afternoon This would be a one-time sitting at 4.15 in the lower walking room, Karuna lower walking room. One of the staff people here at IMS will be there just to help hold uh, the space. And this is for anybody 
you know, anybody who identifies as a woman who might find it supportive to sit in community in this way. So 4.15 to 5 this afternoon in the lower Karuna walking space. I think that's it. Anything else? Have a good day of practice, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.